Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Hey, listeners, and welcome to Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. I'm Christopher D. Littlefield, and I've got back with me Liam Smart, who is co-host of the Janeway and the Vedic Assembly. Those are our Voyager and DS9 podcasts. Hey, Liam. Hello, Christopher D. Littlefield. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Bright and early Sunday morning here. Yeah. Which is lovely. After watching Saturday Discovery evening. last night that I fell asleep in. Whoops. What? Really? I watched it for the first time Friday night when it comes out. And then I thought, oh, I better watch it again because I'm coming on here. And then I fell asleep halfway through. I've only watched it once so far, but I'm going to rewatch it again this weekend. Yeah, it's definitely worth a rewatch, this one. Okay, I'm glad that you think so. There's a lot of... This is a very polarizing episode. Uh <laughs> I mean, yeah, for me, it's more I needed to gather my thoughts a little bit more on it because I was okay. very undecided about it to start with. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, I have, of course, listeners were talking about Unification 3, which is the seventh episode of Discovery Season 3. And on this podcast, we facilitate the fan conversation about every new Trek episode as it drops and other topics we decide to talk about along the way. And to join that conversation, you can join our listeners group by typing the Nexus into the Facebook search field and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Open Channel Trek. Of course, I post a conversation thread when each new episode drops and you can leave your comments and discuss with other listeners and they just might get read on the air. And we're going to read them and talk about them today. So, yeah, I have to say, Liam and listeners, I, to be honest, I have not been looking forward to recording this episode this week since the episode dropped. Okay, why is that? Well, I, so a lot of the comments from people, there was a lot of negative comments, right? And so I personally really loved this episode and I, I compared a lot to If Memory Serves from season two, which I thought was an incredible episode. And as far as how it fits in with the rest of Star Trek lore and the universe, I just thought this was a very similar situation in which it connected a lot of things that we already knew about Star Trek from other series. And I just, I I loved every minute of this episode. So it was hard for me to hear all of the negative comments and not take it personally. So I had to take a couple of days and just like think about what everybody said and figure out how to respond without discounting how they feel. See, when you were calling out for people to come on open channel, I chose this episode specifically a, because it would mean that everything that in my busy, busy life had finished, hopefully when it has. And also because I thought, oh my God, the episode name, I totally want to be a part of this one. Like Unification ah. 3, and I'm like, it's going to be fucking amazing. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yes. Okay, good. Because <laughs> my God, if you've listened to the Janeway, we swear. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just don't know. The first time I've watched it, I I was very unsure. I slept on it and had to think about it and was reading all comments. I'm like, okay, I feel like I've formed my opinion on it now. And okay. it's... Not as negative as it was to start with. It's not like me and the end of Picard, but 
Oh yeah. It's not still I I wouldn't say my favorite episode of season 3. Okay. There's also if memory serves was the one with the cage as a previously on Star Trek, right? Mhm. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I can see what you mean by that. Yeah, and they both fell fall around the same place in the season, so it okay. felt they feel like pillars to me. I t- we talk about this a lot on what the future holds, which will come out tomorrow. But they feel like these big pillars of Star Trekness that I just I really revered, you know. Mm. But I, I'm trying. I was trying to think like, how am I going to record this episode when I have such strong feelings about how much I loved it, and I also wept through the final third of the episode. Oh gosh! Whilst there are so many people who had a lot of negative things to say and a lot of critical things to say, how can I honor what people think? And what I think without making it an argument, because I don't want to do that. So we'll see how that all goes. <laughs> I bet you're probably also a little bit scared. To, well, not scared, but worried because you know what I'm like with my opinions. As yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that factored in that factored into it, too. Like, I'm like, OK, well, I know Liam likes to argue and, you know. <laughs> Yes, I love to argue. <laughs> you like to be contrarian and kind of play devil's advocate a lot, which is fine, but I don't want to argue, but I think it's actually a really good exercise to to have both of us and our personalities talking about this episode with yeah. listeners who were also polarized by it. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to... I think it's a good growing experience. <laughs> it's funny because the last two times that I've done an open channel slash postcards, I think I haven't been on open channel, but postcards before when it was on the previous network, it mm-hmm. was Trouble with Edward, which was polarizing. Yeah. And I believe it was in a in Arcadia at Ego or whatever it's called, part one, which was also polarizing. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I good. seem to pick these episodes with you all the time. That's great. I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's a challenge, and I feel like if something triggers me this much, it must mean that I need to do a lot of inner reflection and figure out why and think mm. about those things. So it's it's a good thing. Yeah. And reading through other people's comments does help you form a basis as well sometimes for your own opinion. And right. also counteract some of the opinions that you thought and be like, oh, okay, I didn't think of that. That actually makes sense. Yes. So, so... Let's have a fun journey to the journey. Let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's 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 just go for it. Okay. Rob Vaughn on Twitter says, "Oh my, never one to get misty eyed, but damn you, Disco! Lots of love this week, but that Nimoy appearance, wow! Yeah, hmm. I thought they did a wonderful job of bringing her back. It uh, there was one thing about season two with the, the cage appearing where it's just like reruns." particular sort of reruns like clips from that show but to have a sort of holographic appearance of spock and from unification one or two can't remember which part it was from i just thought that was done amazingly well Mm -hmm. it was two um i rewatched parts one and two right before i watched three oh did you Mm -hmm. yeah i i mean we got ethan and leonard spock in the same episode which Mm -hmm. made me really happy that part with hot spock was or beardy spock or whatever you want to call him spock's butt he that that made me a little emotional on the inside just because you know it's the exact words that she said to him during such sweet sorrow part two and then Mm -hmm. yeah i'm just like wow and he's he's obviously we knew he's gone on to grow up to be something amazing across all of the federation but she didn't and it's just really nice to see that 
you know, he she's proud of him, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. Thanks, Rob. Peter Trek One on Twitter says, I enjoyed Unification 3 very much on multiple levels, especially how it ties in with other aspects of past Star Trek history. Yeah. It is an excellent episode and is my current number one favorite episode of season three. So a lot of love for that, Peter, which is awesome. I It's not my favorite episode, but it's it's close with Forget Me Not for me. It's like Forget Me Not wins by a few hairs. Uh, but this, yeah, I, I loved this episode. Yeah, I can't say that it's my favorite of season three. I would say it's probably at the moment my least favorite and we'll go into the reasons for that over this episode but i do want to stress majorly stress that i still think it's a really good episode there is nothing so far in season three that has been bad and i'm taking this at a point where the episodes have been absolutely amazing and this one was just good good okay yeah okay cool it's not by no means it's not a dislike. <laughs> don't hold back. I mean, you know. <laughs> oh no, no, no. Come on. <laughs> you know me, Chris. Liam doesn't hold back. That's true. Paloma Bennett says, I loved seeing the TNG and Picard references in this episode. Michael speaking about Spock is so poignant. She is so proud of her little brother. Michael misses Spock. Aww. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a nice sort of family reunion without the family being there if that makes sense like a thousand years apart really she's just finding out what he's done and it's comforting to her that he's gone on to be something great like i said earlier and the picard references yeah i thought that were cool like you might as well bring in the new trek as as well as the old trek yeah that was awesome and she got to see spock as an old man mm-hmm. she that moved her although it is interesting they didn't show... I mean, I would have thought there would have been a little bit more, if that makes sense. Like, him on the Enterprise, obviously the unification stuff was relevant to the story, but also him trying to save Romulus. Because, let's face it, yes, that was in the Kelvin Timeline movie, but that events happened in the Prime. Him trying mm-hmm. to save Romulus with the Red Matter, etc. So I'm surprised oh, yeah. that didn't actually feature. Interesting. That. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I would have thought, well you know he's now trying to save a whole bloody planet and Mm -hmm. but then again maybe they didn't want to show michael the demise of him or something because obviously he ended up in a different timeline on that ice planet right matthew mavis says black girl magic redux wins the day burnham needed that swift spiritual kick in the butt to reframe the conflict within her and set her on the right path up until that point the episode felt as conflicted as she was And after that dose of absolute candor, the whole episode felt like it snapped into laser-sharp clarity. I believe my sense of, quote, two shows sharing a time slot is coming to an end. Unification, indeed. So, Matthew, this is—your comment embodies exactly how I feel about the episode. Like, it's not just unification between Romulans and Vulcans. It's about a lot of things. Like, there's so many layers to Star Trek Discovery that— It also means unification of the issues that Michael has within herself and bringing those shadows, uh, integrating them into who she is as a whole, as a whole person, all the different conflicting parts of herself. And yeah, mom giving her that absolute candor and kind of making her face those things was, was brilliant. 
yeah, it goes along with the whole theme of the entire season, really, that it's people are struggling within themselves because you see the things that happened to Detmer. Um, clearly, there's a struggle going on with Giorgio, but I'm I'm not quite sure what Matthew means. Sorry about two shows sharing a time slot. So last week, Matthew had talked about discovery needing to make up its mind is it about burnham or is it about discovery and my reply to that was that it's both star trek discovery is about michael burnham because she's the lead character it's about her and yes it's also about discovery the ship and the crew so i think he was having a hard time grasping that it could be about both at the same time and still both of those things being completely valid and finding a place where they intersect, which I think is what happened in this episode. Okay, okay, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree that the episode was, or f- the episode felt conflicted. I'm sort of the opposite. I enjoyed the first half more hmm. than the second half. Okay. But again, there will be a comment later down that explains that, and I'll explain around that. Yeah. Rebecca Skipper on Twitter says, This episode was a real treat and an emotionally moving tribute to what has come before. I loved all of the character scenes until his promotion, though odd, feels earned. Loved seeing Burnham's mother again and their interactions. I loved learning about the unification and the burden Vulcans and Romulans felt about their potential role in the burn. I'd love to see a novel about the history of the unification from Picard onwards. Yes, that would actually be really interesting. I am very disappointed they didn't have any Remans in there because, let's face it, Remans are basically Romulans and Vulcans as well because they're mm-hmm. all part of the same bloodline, so missed a big opportunity there. But yeah, definitely a novel would be a very interesting read, especially anything that could come in between the time before the burn and the time that we've seen Picard up until. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And seeing Burnham's mother again was cool. Didn't like how they did it, but that's just me. Okay. I feel like just because we didn't see or hear about the Remans in this one episode doesn't mean we're not going to in the future. Okay. These these writers know their Star Trek. Oh, 100%. And I feel like all of that at once, it was already a really jam-packed, multi-layered episode with a lot going on. Let's let's save the Remans for another day. Do you really think they're going to, though? I think eventually, at some point, yeah. Totally. Okay, because I feel like all they needed to do was put a fourth quorum member. So you've had your Vulcan, you had your Romulan, you had your Romulo Vulcan, and then they could have just had a Reman. But you're assuming that the Remans wanted to unify with the Vulcans and the that Romulans. Maybe the Remans weren't there yet. Maybe they're not there yet. That is a very big assumption to make, actually. Yeah, no. They're still a different race than the Romulans, even though their origin is the same. Yeah. You know, and as we saw in Nemesis, they are really different than Romulans. Yeah, exactly. I just hope they all didn't die out when the supernova happened. Right. Yeah, I liked the Remans. I did too. They were cool. Baz Greenland says, my favorite episode of Discovery Season 3 so far. Yes, another, another favorite Loved the exploration of Spock's legacy and the evolution of the Vulcans and Romulans. A great sense of world building with the Quad Malat from Picard. Sure, there were contrivances with Michael's mother and Tilly's promotion, but it was an emotional roller coaster that made up for them. See, so I like that, Baz. You are acknowledging that there are a little bit of like, oh, 
you know, some contrived moments in the writing, but that it was justified and earned. I, I, I appreciate that. I respect that. I feel the same about Tilly's promotion in that respect. It seems a little odd and there is a bit of a contrivance, but the emotional aspects to all of that and the way it was played out from Mary Wiseman and the other cast members as well did make up for that, as I'll go into Mm. later as well. Yeah, same. The Kuat Malat thing coming from Picard, brilliant, because as I said, you you want to be able to incorporate all Trek, not just, oh, here's a Voyager reference or, oh, here's a Temporal Accord reference from Enterprise. You want things from Discovery well, we're going to get things from Discovery, but you want things from Picard and from Lower Decks to come in as well. We just need mm-hmm. that giant bronze statue of Miles O'Brien to turn up on the planet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Patrick Carlin, hey Patrick, says, really love this one from the Anton Yelchin tribute to the hologram of Spock from Unification. Oh, and Book's line, you guys are chronic overachievers. Aren't <laughs> they just? I do like how he also says that... Um, it's like a messianic complex or always uh-huh. looking for people with messianic complexes. And yeah. yeah, I do like how they're sort of building into the scripts this particular season about how Burnham and Spock, like that particular family are basically chronic overachievers and are the focal point of whatever thing seems to happen in the Federation. Yeah. This is why I think lines like that are when, the show just becomes really self-aware of what mm-hmm. it's about and what it's writing. And so this is why I don't have a problem with, you know, I don't have a problem with Michael learning these lessons back and forth about making these big mistakes and then getting some, you know, justification for them, but also learning her lesson, then having a lot of good things happen. And like, it, I feel like it's it makes it feel very intentional for me. Like, she's a chronic overachiever. And it's funny because it's true. Oh, definitely. And in <laughs> that was an issue I did have in season two. I was ecstatic when it was Burnham's mother who was the Red mm-hmm. Angel, but when it found out that actually it wasn't necessarily uh, Burnham's mother who we were seeing, it was actually Burnham, I thought, a uh, little bit of a letdown because, again, it's a Michael Burnham thing. But again and now, like, Burnham's going to be the one to solve the burn. Burnham's going to be the one to bring the Federation back together. But the whole idea of sort of taking the piss out of it works. <laughs> and that that doesn't make me so angry about it. Yeah, that's that's what I think. Yeah. We totally. also do need to touch on the point for the Anton Yelchin tribute. Oh. Loved it. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, that's so cute. So are we going to get a USS Abajimois soon as well? Oh, that would be great. You, you oh. prob- probably not. A, a ship though maybe just a uss odo because you wouldn't particularly <laughs> wanting to be screaming that over a communications thing the yeah. uss abogenoir is a bit of a mouthful i would love to see the dominion counterparts in discovery and see what they're up to oh god could you imagine a changeling we did see the cardassian a couple of episodes ago uh-huh. in uh, starfleet headquarters yeah yeah oh that would be awesome i hadn't even thought about that just like a bit of goo wandering up as oh my god, or even that'd be so cool. Changeling captain of the USS Abogenois. Oh, oh man, I want to know what they're up to. I gotta know. Gooping around. Oh man. <laughs> okay, Daniel Huckfield says another excellent episode. Loved the link back to TNG and really enjoyed the A plot. Tilly's promotion is an interesting one based on experience and existing rank. 
Totally the wrong thing to do, but based on chemistry and working relationship was the right decision. The crew is in a unique situation and unorthodox ideas and thinking are needed. For me, the decision to promote Tilly shows how confident Saru is becoming as a captain. So another comment that acknowledges it's an out of out of the box decision, mm-hmm. Daniel, right? And so, but you know, difficult times call for different, whatever, different, different measures. I went for a drive to this coffee shop that I like, and I saw this Frank Zappa quote on the side of a building without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible. And so this makes me think about the decisions that Michael makes, the decision of making Tilly acting number one. What the norm is doesn't always work. We might be used to somebody who is a lieutenant becoming the acting number one or something, someone who is already a commander in some way becoming the acting number one. But this, this is, these are different circumstances. We've had a very strong through line of Tilly from day one that she is going to be a captain one day. She has manifested that since we, the moment we met her and since she yeah. started getting to know Michael. And so we followed that journey. Was it earlier than we would expect? Yes. And this is just another step in that direction. But we've also seen the mentorship between Saru and Tilly create some very strong character bonds between the two of them. They have a trust. Saru counseled her as they were walking in episode two. Mm-hmm. And Tilly told her, Tilly told him the truth about what he should do regarding Michael in the last episode when she disobeyed a direct order. So, yes, it's unusual. I'm so glad it happened. I want to see her succeed, and I want to see what she does with it. So I do think that even though it's a risk, it shows that Saru is like, he's going with his gut. He's He's making the decision that he thinks is best for the crew based upon his experience with his officer. You touched upon the very important point there. Trust is clearly a thing that Saru... I wouldn't say has a problem with, but has fell foul to yeah. on more than one occasion with what happened to the Shenzhou, with what has happened now with Burnham going off to save Book and scavengers. So he wants someone he can trust. He's also witnessed and we've witnessed Tilly having some of the leadership qualities when it comes to, again, last episode when she was telling people what to do in engineering around the spore drive testing when they needed to potentially jump to whatever planet that was, Argus, Argus, I can't remember what it was called. Argus, uh, something like that. Yeah, so she's she's got the ability. On a few things on this point about rank, I mean, if you look at it this way, the people that are in front of her on rank is every single person that we know on that ship, almost. Reno is a mm-hmm. commander. Stamets and Culber are lieutenant commanders. They wouldn't become captain because they're basically even though not necessarily head of engineering or head of i was going to call it doctor doctrineering what is it sick doctrineering <laughs> sick bay so like they wouldn't become part of it and then you then it falls to people like linus detmer and nielsen now my personal choice for it would have been nielsen because i want to see that character flourish but we don't know anything about her exactly but i want to see more about her but that doesn't mean that she should be the first officer. If we don't right. know her as an audience, we don't really know her except yeah, one time she she flew the captain's chair. And we yeah, all we know exactly. is that she hasn't even been on the bridge that long. Well, I mean, ex- very good point. I just I just feel like 
I wanted to build up another character. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I just don't think she's I don't think I I don't know her as an audience member well enough to think that she has the relationship with the captain or the experience with the bridge crew and that and that is exactly what you need now the other point of it that i wanted to say about rank is that yes she's an ensign and i first thought what a stupid thing she's an ensign that's she's got no experience in terms of leading but then you look at it and you look at voyager and then you realize that balana was a lieutenant junior grade and she was made head of engineering over carrie and she was also a maquis (laughs) exactly and chakotay whilst he was previously in starfleet he wasn't in starfleet and he became a commander yeah and also a marquee mm-hmm. mr yeah. i was in prison tom paris got moved straight yeah. to lieutenant mm-hmm. so there is precedent for bizarre choices wesley oh, oh yeah <laughs> i'm just like him or not there's exactly. a precedent yeah, there's a precedent for it so a, he's a genius Tilly's clearly a genius mm-hmm. oh Bashir as well went straight from Starfleet Academy to head of doctrineering as I seem to call it area <laughs> Deep I like Space that. Nine. it's like imagineering <laughs> so I mean yeah there's there's there is precedent for it and that's what maybe come to terms with it the only thing I fear is that they're going to set Tilly up to fail not not necessarily like the people on Discovery, but the writers would be like, okay, you've got this opportunity, but then you're going to have something go wrong. You need to learn from it and then demote her as well. I do have this fear that that's what's going to happen because she's not technically ready. Like in terms of, I feel like she could do with another year and then perfect. But I just don't want that to happen because Tilly is such a good character. Yeah, I mean, I I will I will speak more on this later during the questions and concerns. But have you read the autobiography of Catherine Janeway? Not yet, no. Not I haven't either. That. So, yeah, I don't know what Janeway's personal progression through the ranks was. But at STLV last year, somebody asked Kate a question about you know, when she was an ensign, when Janeway was an ensign. And Kate was like, I don't think Catherine Janeway ever was an ensign. I don't think that she ever was. And I'm like, okay, well then if Catherine Janeway wasn't ever an ensign, then it's okay for Tilly to move up from ensign to acting first officer. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember her rank, Janeway's rank on the Albertani. I know she was science officer there Yeah, at some point. That's the only other ship that I know that she's been on. Yeah, I got to say that, and again, I'll talk about this later, to see someone who has been put through a lot of self-doubt as well as doubt from other people close to her, to see her succeed in a big way unexpectedly and earlier than what we would thought feels like a huge victory. It feels like I was so proud of that moment, Mm. you know? Yeah. Sometimes it just takes one person to believe in you to help you get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And that person for Tilly is Saru. Yeah. And I can guess I can relate to that a little bit as well. So. I think a lot of people can, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so <laughs> let's get into your questions and concerns because this is a perfect dovetail into those. There are so many. <laughs> and I'm going to, ch- well, a lot of them revolve around the same things, but we will unpack them all. And Again, like I said, I really loved every moment of this episode. I thought the writing was fantastic. I thought every single character moment 
was justified and earned. And there are a lot of opinions that are not like that. So as we read these and then discuss them, I'm going to probably refrain talking too much about my disagreements with them until after we've read all of the questions and concerns. But what I will say is that I honor your opinions that are different than mine. And just because they're different, my opinions do not invalidate your opinions and your opinions do not invalidate mine. So we're going to create that space to discuss them all. And then I might throw in a few comments here and there, but I'll wait for, for, for my big thoughts until after the questions and concerns. Well, open channel is a safe space. Yeah. So Christy Keane says, On the whole, I loved this episode. I loved all the callbacks to the past and the continued hints that the new Federation is not what it seems, but I am not a fan of Tilly being first officer. It makes zero sense, and having the senior staff be okay with an ensign, a pretty recently made one at that, be in that position makes even less sense. I love the character, but this feels like a misstep. I mean, yeah, I get exactly what you mean, and that's that was my thoughts to start with, and I've come round on it, as we've just obviously been through. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure every single person in engineering saying, say yes, say yes, etc., would have been okay with it. Because I know deep down, if I were on that starship, I probably wouldn't be okay with it, especially if I was someone like Linus or Nielsen, who probably also wants to do that kind of thing. Or Stamets. You're kind of Stamets-y, as Brandy and I have said before. <laughs> <laughs> I know the more, I mean, the more I watch Stamets and with you guys in my head, I can see it now. And yeah, yeah. I would be pissed. I would probably be pissed. Yeah, but he was even happy for her. Yeah, he was. But that's because they're friends. If they were friends, then yeah. But if I was just like a rando, you know, lieutenant on that ship who's also on the command path, I'd be like, what the fuck? Seriously? And then I'd just ask for a transfer. Yes, I get that. That's totally valid. If I were if I were above Tillian rank and I've been working my ass off for years, that would be my first that would be my gut reaction right away. That would be my reactive moment to that decision. I understand that. And that's mm-hmm. valid. I think that's totally valid. I think a lot of these comments come from that type of place, which which I totally yeah. understand. Um, Mickey Gunter says, oh, and also, Kirsty, sorry, I spelled your name wrong in the notes. It's Kirsty Keen, not Christy. That's my fault. Oh, sorry. Nah, it's all me. Mickey says, I'm, okay, this comment, Mickey. Okay, I'm absolutely sick to death of Michael Burnham catching every fucking break. Hashtag love Sonequa Martin-Green, hate the writers. It's like Chris said last episode, this show is about Michael, not Discovery. It should just be called Star Trek Burnham. Oh, and also live long and prosper, my heart. Um, so last episode I said it was about both, not just Michael. Um, but Mickey, I, uh, okay. I have to, pa- I have to not comment on this until after, but what do you think? I get exactly what you mean. And I said it earlier, I was starting to get Michael Burnham fatigue. Like I've got James Holden fatigue in the expanse. Yes. Everything does seem to revolve around Michael Burnham and she always seems to land on her feet and come up smelling like roses, but they're making a point this season as well to actually play on that, like we said earlier, with the silly little comments like the messianic complex and um, overachieving people. So, yeah, look, I do get what you mean, but I, the more that I think about it, the more it is mostly about Burnham and it's about her journey 
Of course, she's the lead character. As the lead, yeah. And at the end of the day, you look at things like Voyager, and a lot of the things come down to Janeway doing something in the Temporal Prime Directive and revolving around Janeway. Mm-hmm. So, same with Enterprise. It seems to always be around Archer, Spock, or to pull... Archer, not Spock, fucking hell. Archer, to pull and trip. Yeah, I... So, I don't think that Michael catches every fucking break, though. Like... We see what I see with Michael's arc is that we see a woman trying to make the right decision and failing many times and being set. She has setbacks all the time because of her own stubbornness, because of the way she thinks things should be done. And she pays the price for them. And then she figures out it's like two steps forward one step back all the time i feel like we're just watching her journey of learning how to be herself and make decisions it's not exactly like she's perfect not at all she's definitely not perfect. no way and that's quite possibly the difference between her and some other characters we've seen on star trek i guess i'm struggling to think of some of them right now but she's by far not perfect and what you say there she doesn't always catch a break but she always somehow like i said lands on her feet she survives she learns how to survive survive spectacularly she learns how to survive she thrives she learns i mean she she learns and then she screws up and then she learns some more and then she screws up just like all of us yeah yeah except she Makes massive, <laughs> massive failures and then massive yeah. <laughs> fixes. Okay, this is a long one. Yes, and it's like a third of the length that it was in the post. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Paul Collinson, my wonderful co-host on the Vedic Assembly, says, I hate having to say this, but I'm honestly sick of Michael having to be the center of everything. And I'm not hating on her character, far from it. I love Michael's character and I love how she's grown this season and I feel that she deserves so much better than the lazy writing that constantly contrives reasons for her to be the most important person in the galaxy. (laughs) Having said that, there was still a lot to like about this episode. I mean, with that part, Nick, I think we've gone through that and yeah, she is quite the centre of everything. It's just just a facet of the show that we're watching. She's the girl who made the stars. she's special (laughs) she's special michael burnham is a special person in the universe she saved the freaking universe she's special yep i can't argue with that one okay nick continues i really liked the exploration of navar history and the intermixing of vulcan and romulan cultures i love that the kawat malat are still in existence and as much as i thought it was contrived that she was there gabriel burnham as a kawat malat and just speaking the harsh truths the whole time was awesome and of course, the recording of Leonard Nimoy as Spock had me in tears. I love what they were going for this episode. I really do. I just think that maybe they didn't quite stick the landing. Hmm. Okay. So for me, the whole the whole overarching story of this episode was great. I love the fact that Vulcan is no longer called Vulcan and it's called Navar. And that did you see that Trek Core thing earlier today? No. Trek Core posted overnight or during the day for your time that. Navar is a Vulcan term that was created by the writers for the 1960s era fanzine Spockanalia. It is introduced in a song in the book which literally means two form and is meant to describe the comparing and constra- contrasting of two things, which is an excellent point or an excellent choice for the planet's name. Oh, wow. I like that. 
of course it does leave the remans out again but yeah yeah exactly and so i thought that was really quite cool you know i was surprised that there wasn't more backlash for renaming vulcan i thought people would be pissed about that i personally thought it was cool but i thought people would be upset about it i think there's if that was if tilly wasn't made first officer in this episode that would have moved up in the disappointments that would have moved up in people's disappointments yes but again i don't see how everything will be named the same thing 930 years later just think about all the name changes that we've had across the world in the last thousand years Mm -hmm. in countries and so on honestly i'm surprised that everything is is so similar (laughs) that it was almost a thousand years before you know it's still everything's still pretty recognizable culturally Mm -hmm. which isn't the most realistic thing but we still got to keep some semblance of what we understand otherwise it's not necessarily Star Trek. Right. Pot- potentially. You could argue that case. I haven't quite formed my view on that one. I, uh, Nick, uh, I love your thoughtful comments. I don't think that we have got... You said, I just think they maybe didn't quite stick the landing. I don't think we've gotten a landing yet. I don't think we're anywhere near the landing. I know. I know you mean within the context of the story of this episode, but I think that it's just the end of one chapter and there's a lot more to come that will reference back to what we learned in this one. I do want to point out that I really didn't like them calling it SB19 because every time I was like, Oh, COVID-19. Well, (laughs) it's just, it's, it's just an unfortunate name for it. That wasn't a thing yet, but yeah, you're true. It wasn't a thing yet. I will say though, and I mentioned this on, what the future holds the discovery podcast the quote that really stuck out for me was even science cannot be separated from cultural and political context there are always implications and that's another oh, fucking hundred percent yeah that was another thing that reminded me of what's going on with people denying the science of what's happening and how it is cultural and it is political even mm-hmm. scientific stuff there are implications yeah. leaning in that direction which i thought really poignant considering again it was filmed a year ago I mean, you look at things, the science behind, I guess, vaccinations and COVID-19, the Wearing science masks. behind climate change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's always red and blue. Whatever country you're in, it's red and blue. <sighs> Unfortunately. Except your red and blue's opposite to our red and blue. Right. Yeah. And our <laughs> conservative is your liberal or something like that. Like, yeah. the conservative party is actually liberal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they were originally liberal, and then they've gone more conservative over the years. That's like here too, yeah. And then uh, our red one is Labour. So, all right. Well, Suzanne Williamson, who, like we said, hosts the Janeway with Liam and Boldly Go, the Strange New Worlds show. Okay, Suzanne was very critical this week, and I was surprised. She said, "Okay." While I enjoyed this episode for the callbacks to Spock and his efforts to unite Vulcan and Romulans, seeing and hearing Leonard Nimoy in New Trek made me cry. That's all I enjoyed it for. Oofed. I know. There were just too many overreaches in one episode to ignore. Gabrielle Burnham being Kawat Malat, she's not Romulan. Elnor wasn't accepted because he was a male Romulan, and you want me to buy into a non-Romulan being Kawat Malat? Uh, no. Okay, pause. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that, Suzanne, because 
it's again 930 years which is less than it was since picard but like what like 800 years or something earlier was when we met the Kuatmalat. they could have changed and evolved like that's almost a thousand years of change and they could accept other people and they could have like you know things like that change over over centuries and centuries it's, it's, it's just progression and right I, that's that's the point that i don't have a problem with the fact that she's not romulan yeah me neither so i do i yeah i disagree with you sorry suzanne on that <laughs> hey we love each other it's okay we do we can disagree <laughs> she goes on michael being the only one that could talk to navar even vakir wasn't buying that pointing out that michael evoked her brother's name in an effort to sway their decision yeah, yeah. that's valid but i like yeah i liked that I liked that catch, though. Surely there must be a Vulcan on Discovery. Hmm, maybe, yeah. While I absolutely adore Tilly, she is not ready to be first officer, even in just an acting capacity. In a few years, yes, but Tilly right now, no. There are other more qualified candidates, Culber, Detmer, Nielsen, just to name a few. This move by Saru is going into the ever-increasing list of questionable decisions made by the new captain. So I'm going to pause again. I, I've i already said some of the things to why I think that it's good for Tilly to have this role. And that, to me, when I hear somebody say that somebody is not ready to do something or somebody can't do something... To me, that makes it so much more beautiful and justifiable that somebody goes and fucking does it and proves the odds wrong. There is a difference, though. Sorry to play my devil's advocate kind of line here. No, it's okay. (laughs) There is a difference between being first officer on a starship, being responsible for the lives of everyone at the instance, because if Saru's injured or sick, she's the captain. So... There's that, and it's a big difference compared to going out and getting your dream job, for example, which might not have the life and death implications that being first officer and potentially acting captain could be mm-hmm. or could bring. I just don't think with the trust and the relationship and the mentorship that Saru and Tilly have built together that there is another qualified as qualified candidate. I think she's the right mm. choice for now and then see what happens she did bring up the point though not suzanne tilly are you making me acting first officer because i'm compliant right and i mean it did oh, that read great. like that it did read like that Hmm. i guess i just you know being an intuitive sensitive person and and very like you know very sensitive it just felt like the right decision and sometimes that's what leadership is, going with your gut and doing what feels right. Yeah. That's how I feel. It's fair enough. And then Suzanne says, also, having one tropey episode, courtroom drama, following a previous one, jailbreak, just seemed an odd choice for me. Last note, where the hell are the Remans? Fair. To end on a positive, I find President Tarina fascinating. I do hope we get to see more of her in the future. So I love her. I'm obsessed with her. I think she's awesome. I love Tarina. She reminds me of my mother. Really? Like just slap a Vulcan wig on my mother and <laughs> that will be Tarina. <laughs> she reminds me also of Julie Walters and Dame Judi Dench. 
Oh, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, sorry. It's funny that you bring up courtroom drama, Suzanne, because as much of not a fan I am about jailbreak episodes, and the last one was my least favorite so far, um, I loved the courtroom drama setting. I thought it was great to see another courtroom drama in Star Trek. I love that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I quite enjoyed Scavengers myself. Yeah. Mm, I, I I like it more now having seen this episode. Having okay. seen Unification 3, that validated Scavengers to me, which the is why... Yeah, which is... Especially for Michael, which is why it's like these gut reactions. I get it. I understand why we have these reactive moments to things that happen. But it's like, there's another episode coming, and when we go back and rewatch seasons of Discovery, they're very good. The writers are very good at justifying why they made certain decisions in certain episodes. Like, there's never anything is just thrown away, usually. I think we sometimes forget that Discovery is a long-form show and not episodic. Yes, agreed. All right, Ken Hui says... I loved most of the episode, especially the A story on Navarre. The Spock hologram of Leonard Nimoy from Unification is what I'll probably always remember about this episode. Yeah, probably me too, really. But the B story of Saru making Tilly the acting first officer doesn't make sense. I hate saying this because Tilly is one of my favourite characters on Discovery, but she has nowhere near the experience to hold the position. (laughs) Another one with that same uh, opinion. So we're to believe that if Saru became incapacitated, that Starfleet's number one rapid responder will be run by an ensign. Cadet Kirk becoming captain of the Enterprise in the reboot movie rang hollow to me, and so does this development with Tilly. Okay. I mean, the Kirk in the Kelvin Timeline movies was an even bigger jump. Yes. Um, But, yeah, I can see what you mean, and it's exactly what I said earlier, that she will be the captain of the only ship with the spore drive that they so sorely need. And it'd be interesting to see Admiral Vance's um, reactions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I didn't think about the Kirk jump up in Star Trek 09. And that, that did bother me as time went on more and more. I think the Kirk jump was a little bit more ridiculous because he was also, I wouldn't say like a felon or anything, but... He was nowhere near command material. He was a wild child. Yes, yes. And Tilly's Tilly's not a wild child. Mm -mm. She could be. She could be at night time, actually. Well, but she's a genius. Kirk is not that kind of genius. Like, he's not a technical, scientific, mathematical genius like Tilly is. Yeah, yeah. And also, just just as a side note with the wild child, I'd totally party with Tilly. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Karen Hasha says, I made it almost to the end of the episode this time before I started crying, but Gabrielle Kowatmalat Burnham telling Michael, you always know where to find me, got me. Yes, Karen, that moment, I I lost my shit in that moment. Speaking of Gabrielle, it was highly entertaining to watch her manipulate the Vulcans and Michael both using nothing but absolute candor. I was not a big fan of the Tilly plot this week. Surprise, surprise, another one. I love Tilly dearly, but making her first officer, even temporarily, is just silly. Didn't Saru learn his lesson the last time he appointed a first officer who wasn't ready for it? Now that is a fair point. 
that I I can I get that. Mm. I do feel the love for Tilly has potentially blinded Saru a little bit, or the friendship for Tilly has potentially blinded him. Saru does make some very odd decisions, but at the same time, he's a Kelpian and he's he thinks differently as well, like just based on the nature of or how he was brought up and the old ways of being fearful, etc. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I don't see his relationship with Tilly as a friendship. I see his relationship with Michael as a friendship. But with Tilly, I don't see that. Because in season two, when Tilly started seeing May, that relationship with Saru started taking off. And that's when it became more of a mentorship situation. And, you know, she got recommended for command program and all that. And I just don't see it the same way, personally. That's fair. And Karen goes on. One last question. I wonder if the Tellarites are still in the Federation or if all the founding members have left. I do hope we find out this season. Me too. And I almost forgot. I am beyond happy that Michael is not leaving Discovery. She and Book will find a way to make it work. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad she's not leaving too. It's this integration journey. Like, it's the integration of who she is now with this year and all the other shit going on with her and figuring out, is this still home? What's home? Yeah, I don't think she was ever going to leave Discovery. On the point of Tellarites, I think we're going to 100% have to go to Tellar. We've gone to Navarre, which was Vulcan. We know what's Mm. happening with Andorians. We know what's happening with Orions. The only... We know what's happening with the Romulans. The only major species we don't know about explicitly are Klingons and Tellarites now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I talked about how I wanted to see Klingons. Mm. Because if you think about it, we've had them talk about Bajor, like the Bajoran Exchange. This must be some kind of like commerce center or something with Bajor. Oh, and the Ferengi. I want to see what's happening with the Ferengi because, my God, 2020 Ferengi makeup would be boss. Oh, my God. Yes. Have you heard the idea that DS9 is the Bajoran Exchange? No, that could actually be so cool. Could you imagine like Terok Noor a thousand years later? Yeah. 800 yeah. years later. That would be awesome. But yeah, I do feeling I have a feeling we'll end up going to Teller. I think that'll be a wonderful idea. I hope so. Now, before I go on to this other one, <laughs> because I forgot to bring it up in Suzanne's comment, the thing that threw me this episode was Gabrielle Burnham being the person in the Kuwait Malat. I thought that, to me, was the biggest stretch possible. They've said that she would always bounce back to Terralesium, but oh no, this time she bounced back to Esof 4. And somehow the people on that planet took her to the Kawatmala and then ended up on Navarre. And then, you know, I just I just feel like that's such a big stretch. I like it. Two, I mean, it would be cool if we hadn't already had such a massive stretch of her being the Red Angel suit to start with. But my God, this is like another massive stretch. And that's what has me with the issue or that is my issue with this episode and it threw me i can see how her not bouncing back to terralesium is a little bit of a blip from what we knew with the with the suit and where it was anchored but for me from a character standpoint i really love that she is in the Kuat malat because 
after these 20 years of seeing everything in the universe die over and over and over again, seeing her daughter die and seeing what a angry, broken person she was in season two, giving her this place where she has a much more focused spiritual calmness and accepting of things val- makes sense to me. And I like that for her. I want that for her. I mean, from that aspect, it makes sense. But if you, and I'm in danger here of like becoming the realistic police, the realism police, the the idea that out of everything that's happened, she could join the Kowat Malat like and then end up as Michael Burnham's advocate. It's just very, very unlikely. You know, and that's that's what took me out of the episode. I was really enjoying it right up until she beamed onto the ship, and I'm like, "Oh, for oh. fuck's sake!" Seriously, and I started crying. <laughs> I'm just not. I got pissed off. I was like, I was pissed <laughs> off like I was at the end of Picard. I'm like, no, this is just oh yeah unnecessary. Uh, I mean, it did come back because what she was saying was really good, but I just think the whole it was it was almost like a way of getting that dangler off of the whiteboard that says what happened to burnham's mum yeah i i mean you know it's it's creative writing however you look at it yeah and i you know choices were made (laughs) (laughs) that's just my opinion but anyway yeah let's go on so jay do says personal log stardate 20211.28 i think i found the first episode of star trek that will not gain a rewatch within the first few days or perhaps weeks since watching These Are the Voyages, which aired on Stardate oh, 200505.13. Wait, that's like a huge statement, Jay. Like to compare <laughs> this to These Are the Voyages, that's <laughs> awful. Oh my God. Sorry, go on. I mean, I, pro- I probably wouldn't go that far. That's that- major. <laughs> yeah, wow. It was not due to the lack of drama. If that were the case, I wouldn't be watching Measure of a Man or Dax from TNG or Deep Space Nine, respectively. But because I was actually bored during the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get it. On my second watch, I fell asleep halfway through from the what was clearly the redressed mess hall. Right. But again, I wouldn't go that far. Kirsten Bayer is a great author when it comes to the novels that she has written over the years true also i understand that tilly was to be the acting first officer until a replacement can be found so why the celebration for a role that i think the admiral will just lose his shit the the moment they jump back to the starbase i mean that's exactly what i think i think he's just gonna be like what are you doing you idiot she's an ensign vance doesn't know tilly he has nothing to do with it he lets the captain make the decisions just like he told saru what to do about Michael, when she disobeyed the the order, like I mean, Vance doesn't care. Get an, it would surely get an eyebrow raise from him. But then again, I think Vance was also a bit of an idiot this episode. Just you know, not even logically thinking about the potential issues that putting Michael Burnham to Navarre. Anyway, that's another that's another thing that I was a little bit awkward. It was an awkward mm. scene. Anyway, mm-hmm. Jay goes on to say, "I don't want to end this personal log on a sad note. So the tribute to Spock was definitely emotional." Computer, end log, and transmit on an open channel on behalf of Sci-Fi Haven to the crew of Holosuite Media. <laughs> I, lo- I love the framing. I love the I framing know. of this comment. It's awesome. Yeah, I had, to, I had to include that. Thank you, Jay. And, of course, Jay was my guest last week. Um, I Have I told you, Liam, 
that or have you heard me say that I feel like Vance is cut in the same cloth as Janeway? Like he reminds me so much of Janeway. I haven't. And this is where I have to admit, I have not been able to listen to any episodes of what the future holds. Oh, that's okay. Can't I've got, I don't drive anywhere anymore because I work from home. So I don't have time. No, it's okay. I just, I just, he reminds me of Jane. I feel like she's an ancestor or something like the way that he is skeptical and just holds on to that, you know, kind of, righteous not he's not a bad guy and he's not like indignant but he holds on to his i make the decisions around here and i just know he feels like a boss like janeway okay next time i watch him i'll, I'll think of that and see what think I'll, about I'll, yeah, it pick up yeah it'll be interesting okay so i just wanted to say yeah first of all for all of your negative comments and thoughts and all the critical things and everything i'm really really grateful for them all because it made me really think a lot about why I I reacted so strongly to those things. And so this is what I ask for those of you who had the concerns and the questions and those type of reactions. For me, I, and I've said this on what the future holds, I see Star Trek Discovery as the most empathic and emotionally aware of all Star Trek series when it comes to the writing and the character development and the journeys that we see. Obviously, we know the word discovery is not just about the ship. It's also about individual personal discovery. And we see that with everybody. Um, This is what I ask of you with those thoughts. I'm not trying to change your opinion. As I said, my opinion doesn't invalidate yours and your opinion does not invalidate mine. But think about why it is that you really love Star Trek in the first place. What is it that really personally connects you with it? We all have things that that Star Trek does for us that we take very personally. Otherwise, we wouldn't spend our time talking about it so much and commenting and doing podcasts about it. So what I want you to think about when it comes to the criticism of Michael Burnham, think about and, and what I want you to do is it's just about perspective. So think about the perspective which might inform our opinions. Think about when it comes to the criticism for Michael Burnham, what does it mean to a black woman watching this character? What does it mean to a young black girl watching this character's journey every week on Star Trek? The ups and downs, the struggles, the victories, you know, the punishment for making mistakes and all that kind of stuff. What does it mean to her? What does it mean to the gay black boy? who's just coming out of the closet, seeing a character like this in the spotlight. What does it mean to that person and their perspective? When it comes to Tilly and the criticism there, what does it mean to a larger woman who has had to live with a mother that hasn't thought that what she did was ever good enough? What does it mean to that person seeing this character's journey? What does it mean for fans who see in Tilly a representation of neurodivergence, maybe being on the autistic spectrum or something like that, probably also been having, living in a world where they're told they're not good enough or they can't achieve something or they're not ready yet or they don't have the skills to do that. What does it mean for them to see this journey of this character? You know, I think that opinions are great, I just challenge you to examine your perspective and show a little bit of that empathy 
that we're given so much of in Star Trek Discovery and consider what other people are seeing, not just what you're seeing yourself. And I promise I will do the same thing with uh, your opinions too. That's, that's, that's what I ask of you. If you can just take some time and think about it from somebody else's point of view. Wow. And with that, <laughs> I thought long and hard about this. I was like, how do I express what I'm feeling? And I think that's what it is. It's like, I may not feel something specific, but somebody else might feel something because of their perspective and their life experience. That means the freaking world to them to see things like this happen, you know? Yeah. I don't even know what to add to that. I I can't. I just can't. All right. Well, thank you for listening, listeners. Let's move on to a couple of final thoughts now. And, And by the way, please continue this conversation let me know what you think about all this this is a this is a great episode to get into go for it liam so joshua defreeze says while the burnham storyline was beautifully written and gave us a ton of insight into her internal struggles and the complex political situation on navarre which is very cool the part of this episode that really moved me was tilly coming to terms with her new position i think mary wiseman killed it this week her performance was so real and genuine, and the say yes scene made me so giddy. I adore Tilly and love to see her succeed like this. Can't wait to see more of her on the bridge. Agreed, Joshua. <laughs> I, I I do agree. I Especially the Mary Wiseman killed it this week. Just yes. the emotion in her face and eyes and body language as well. It was, it was wonderful. Perfect. See, because the thing that makes it worth it is her own self-doubt. Mm-hmm. It's her own, like, what? What are you talking about? Yes, she's getting a step closer to what she's always wanted, as I said earlier, but she is struggling with her own worthiness of it. And that's what makes it so great. Like with Michael, she let go of what she wanted. She let go of wanting the answer from the, from, from the people of Navarre. And once she let go of that having to have the answer, having to get what she wanted, when she just let it go and realized what the right thing to do was, she opened herself up to letting what she needed and what she wanted to come to her without force. Yeah. I think that's the way that the universe works. Hmm. J.J. Becker says, "Always the always eloquent J.J. Becker, I thought this was a touching and uplifting Thanksgiving story. Starfleet has a long and storied history of recognizing the seed of greatness in the seemingly young or inexperienced. This is a crew who understands that by raising up as an individual, they are also elevating the collective. I have no difficulty believing that they would be eager to nurture the seed of greatness they have seen in Tilly to help her learn how to lead and gain the confidence she needs to be an effective officer. I mean, honestly, in the second episode, Saru and Tilly went for a walk in the snow, practically holding hands and singing On the Wings of Love. (laughs) You know that's who he wanted to ask all along. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love that comment. Yeah. Yeah, that that is true. But they never, ever recognize the seed of greatness in the seemingly young or inexperienced Ensign Harry Kim. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this is like... The, the like making it I don't know this is justification for Harry too <laughs> this is what this is what my partner said Jordan was like you know what this is this is a Harry Kim tribute Tilly's like this one's for you Harry 
I'm doing this for both of us. Oh. <laughs> so that's the end of your comments Love this it. week. And we went super long, but I feel much better about having discussed this with you, Liam, and with the listeners. I, I appreciate more what everybody had to say. And thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you for all your comments. They are beautiful. What do you think? I really enjoy the comments. And as I say, it's the comments here and looking at things through twitter as well that helped me form my opinion of it and yes it's not as positive of opinion as some people but it's nowhere near as negative as it was when i first watched it and that's that's the consideration part of sort of what you said chris yeah i just think it's interesting that something that like because brandy and i both feel the same about this episode like we were both gushing we were both crying i was texting her during and i was like oh my god this episode she's like i know (laughs) and uh so it's just funny that something that to me feels like amazing and like every minute i feel was was well spent and well written somebody has a very different thought of it yeah, and that just goes to show that we're all different people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, listeners, thanks for hanging out for such a long time. And Liam, I'm so glad that you came on this episode. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's always fun being on mic with you. We don't do it that often. No, we'll do it more. I have to get you on a Janeway. Please do. I'll pick the episode that I wanted to watch last time with To The Journey. You did, yes. And that turned out to be a bit of a riot. Admiral Forrest's <laughs> Forest, I do believe. <laughs> yeah. That's Have right. you listened to any of the Janeway episodes, Chris? I haven't to the Janeway yet, no. But I've got it's all in my queue. I'm not driving anywhere either because I'm not really yeah. going met many places. Yeah. Listeners, if you listen to one episode of the Janeway, I strongly recommend you listen to the episode called Sex Cabin, where we had <laughs> Ketwolski on talking about the cloud. It went way way off track the cloud ah good one (laughs) all right well tell everybody where they can find you so you can find me on twitter at ls74656 you can find me on this network as i've already said hosting the vedic assembly with nick and brandy and on the janeway with suzanne and yeah you can obviously find us on the nexus as well and you're going to be a meteorologist Yes, and that's that's the part that I <laughs> I relate to Tilly with. I spent the last four and a half years working to one specific goal, and I managed to get into that goal, even though it's highly unlikely that I would ever have made it. And I am fucking over the moon. People said that about Tilly too. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yep. So if I can be a meteorologist, she can be a first officer. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Liam, for coming. Thank you. You can join the Open Channel conversation on Twitter and Facebook by following us at Open Channel Trek and by joining our listeners group on Facebook by typing the Nexus into the search field. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at CD Littlefield. Keep an eye out for my Open Channel conversation threads on Facebook and Twitter, which I will post every Thursday right before each new Star Trek episode drops. Thanks for listening to Open Channel. Channel Open, standing by. So your arms are distracting me. Just FYI. <laughs> the sucking things? No, 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 the muscles. Um, <laughs> oh, God, thanks. <laughs> oh, shut up, computer. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media.
Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite preview program for The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I did kind of like the idea that he had the armory to work in. That was like his main mm-hmm. his main workspace, I guess. I found that quite different and that excited me. I think they kind of moved away from that a little bit as the show went on. Yeah, as we went on. It definitely appeared more in the first season, I think, and maybe the second than it did the later ones. Did you ever become attached to Malcolm as a character? I wouldn't necessarily say attached, but I always I enjoyed mo- most of the the times that he was on screen and interacting with the rest of the crew. For me, I was I was more attached to Trip. So yeah, yeah. I guess I guess it makes sense that you and I are doing a podcast together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loading Hollow Sweet preview program for there are four questions. A Star Trek Spotlight podcast that felt pretty cool and that's when I, I really really started connecting with star trek when i was actually here and on on the level of creator as opposed to fan so that was where i started getting it was like hey i could do this i remember writing <laughs> i sent this letter to him i wrote to um eric stillwell before i moved to, to los angeles and asked about the the rules for submitting the script and all that stuff and then i had this idea never heard back from him Loading Holosuite preview program for Ladies Trek Library, women with a passion for Star Trek books. One of the reasons I was excited to read this book was because it's called Uhura's Song. And we don't get a lot of books where Uhura is a main character. Um, And she was my favorite character from the original series. So I was excited to see a book about her. And I and I like how and I was thinking about the uh, the Broadway play Cats because they kind of used cat names that that reminded me of the names in this book. So and and this book was written in '85, so it could have been inspired by Cats in that way. Computer deactivate Hollow Suite.